everyone. Welcome. This is episode 285 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I am James, joined once again by Paul and Ryan. Uh, really good weather outside. Good outside weekend for me, at least. How about you yeah. guys? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, if you can see me, I'm quite sunburned. I yeah. um, I attended five youth soccer games and a softball game over the course of the weekend. Two of, uh, Three of which I coached, only one of which I was supposed to coach. So. <laughs> um, I was I was outside quite many. a lot. It is, yeah. it is, in fact, quite quite a lot. I was quite um, curious about that, Paul. <laughs> How was it that you weren't supposed to coach games, and all of a sudden you were coaching the games? Uh, so uh, these are totally unrelated. Um, so my son, I coach his soccer team, and they have practice every Friday at five o'clock. And we showed up for that practice, and there was a full other team in their uniforms there. Uh-oh. And like I, I coach with another dad, and. We were like, did you get an email about this? Nope. Did you get an email about this? Nope. We checked our email again. Like, And uh, yeah, the other team had gotten a game scheduled that had been rained out previously during our practice. And no one told us about it. So um, <laughs> we played that game because there was a team there and we won that game. Nice. And, uh, <laughs> yes. and then my daughter's travel team, uh, right after that game ended, uh, had a, uh, a game about 15 minutes away. The first game of a tournament this weekend. And their coach didn't show up. Uh, they just lost a coach in that organization, and they had a miscommunication about who was supposed to take it that that day. Oh. And no, nobody nice. showed up. So me and another dad coached that game. We we uh, had a two two draw against the eventual champions. We lost to them today in a heartbreaker, but uh, well earned. Uh, they, they were they were an excellent team. No no shame in losing to them. Um, and so yeah, those are. And then I coached my normal game that I actually I'm supposed to coach on Saturday morning. So that's three out of five. So wow. That's how that happened. Happened. <laughs> how are you still standing? I'd be dead. Uh, it was it was it's kind tough. of a, an exhausting weekend. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's true. Yeah, and, and Ryan's full of uh, hibachi grilled goodness mm-hmm. today. Yeah, yeah. yeah my friend had a uh, a, a blackstone grill mm, cooking top thing that I'd never heard of or seen before, and perfect for hibachi. Absolutely perfect. So enjoyed the hell out of that. Yeah. I, I am also likewise crispy trying to do things outside this weekend. And now my allergies are acting up because I can't have anything nice in my life without that happening. So oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> we'll try to get through this episode here. Uh, not a great week for the Brewers, but uh, still plenty of questions to get to. Before we do that, a reminder, as always, you can become a patron. Get question priority at patreon.com slash tailgate. Two bucks a month gets you that question priority both here and on reporting as eligible. Five bucks gets you that as well as some additional exclusive content, including the minor league extra with Ryan and James Anderson from RotoWire. You also get Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods during the season. Uh, Ryan, the, Brewer, the Brewers have another top 100 prospect now, I saw. They do. They do. And it's uh, kind of exciting because he had not really been getting a ton of attention on this front, uh, except from Keith Law, weirdly, who had him like 45th on his list and nobody else had him in their top 100. And so everybody was kind of like, what are you doing, Keith? And then all of a sudden, uh, yeah, he's gotten off to an incredible start with the bat as a 20 year old at double A. And obviously, as a his calling card was being a great defensive catcher. So you've got Jefferson Caro now going out and hitting three home runs in a game, hit another home run today. And so everybody is uh, 
all of a sudden paying quite close attention to Jefferson Caro. And so that's nice. It's it's weird because normally when you have a young catcher who is hitting well, you go, oh, the defense is going to like hold them back and it's going to take time. You're going to have to be patient because they're going to have to learn defensively. Defense is his calling card, and I don't think it's necessarily going to hold him back. So he may be really, really quick and young to the majors in a way that we just don't see very much anymore. I mean, legitimately, we could have a 21-year-old catcher, and obviously he'd be backing up William Contreras next year. Like, But I could see sure. him being in the majors, not necessarily to open next year, but at some point next year, him being the backup to uh, Contreras would not shock me even a little bit, and that's sort of insane to say about a 20-year-old catcher. But mm-hmm. here we are. Definitely still exciting to see, though. Uh, more exciting than the the major league side of things were this week. Kind of a rough week, uh, two and four road trip, which I guess is fine considering you, you went to Tampa and the, the Rays have lost now four games all year yeah, at home. Honestly, Brewers, it, could, it could have been a lot worse than it was. It, yeah, it was not that bad. <laughs> yeah, I, and I think maybe some perceptions of the last week kind of colored by the fact that the Cardinal series was ugly <laughs> we were recording last week's episode during that 18 to 1 beat down and then just your usual uh bush stadium stupid crap happening that's just frustrating so just a frustrating week and then the brewers on top of that lost wade miley another weird ass pitching injury he's out for like two months now uh some offensive doldrums you know runners with scoring position not at uh, a great uh, point of success over the last week, but uh, I, I don't know. There's still some maybe optimism going back home, although they're playing the Astros now. And I, as I told Ryan, this is going to the game on Monday night. They've won like six or seven in a row. So mm-hmm. uh, no, no break in the, the quality of the competition, but that's what you get with the balanced schedule. So uh, I, I think this is another week where the questions kind of carried everything that I wanted to talk about. So let's just jump right in. Our, our first one this week comes from Jay Google on Patreon asking just a big picture. Is the bad stretch of baseball just because of injuries on the pitching and hitting side or something else? Uh, Ryan, what do you think? Injuries or just kind of the, we, we kind of talked about a lot of this stuff, too. <laughs> yeah, I think it, obviously the injuries have to be playing into some of this. But more than anything, you go through a run where you're playing a lot of good teams and uh, not just some good teams, but you're playing some teams that are hot at the moment. The the Cardinals came into that series really hot. They had gotten onto, you know, started to go through a pretty good run there even before they started playing the Brewers. And you're playing the Dodgers, who are always good, and the Rays, who obviously are one of the best teams in baseball. So you're playing good teams, and you're playing uh, just you know, at a point in the schedule where you're not doing that well because your roster is somewhat decimated. So, yeah, it makes sense that you would have a downswing during this time period. But I was surprised. I just looked at the standings. They're five and five in their last 10, which I would never, ever, ever have guessed. But I guess the uh, that sweep of the Royals is still on there doing some heavy lifting yep. and making oh, that yeah. look a lot better. But, you know, playing the Royals in the midst of all this, that also is part of the schedule, right? Like you get good teams to go with the bad teams. And it's not like they didn't have a really good run early in the season against good teams. Like they were taking care of good teams early on. So to, to get out to the hot start that they did was mostly against good competition. So I think mostly this is just the ups and downs of a season. And yeah, there are concerns on the injuries and 
on both the hitting and the pitching side. We're going to talk about it. But I think mostly this is just, you know, the ups and downs of a season more than anything. Yep, agreed. And uh, when you play on the road against good teams, you're not usually going to win more than you lose. That's just, you know, the expected outcome. Going two and four is not that big a deal. Um, and St. Louis has won. They're eight, they're eight and two over the last 10 games. They have, of yeah. course, been on fire. Um, up to third place now. Up to third place and um, looking like their old selves again. So uh, that kind of thing happens. Yeah, they're the Brewers are beat up, absolutely. But it's not like they've gone completely in the tank as a result of that at all. They've actually hung pretty tough. And uh, like my expectation was they would get swept by Tampa. I'm very pleased they got a game today. And uh, honestly, I, I don't think it's that bad. Like Houston's going to be another tough opponent. They at least are at home. And then it gets a little easier for a while. So um, that's going to happen a lot this season. And honestly, it really could have gone a lot worse. Uh, today they played, I thought, a really positive game that, that we could take a lot away from. So that was good to see. Yeah, absolutely. Freddie looked good. Uh, bullpen strizzlecky struggled a little bit, but Devin Williams, a couple of uh, four or five out saves on this road trip too. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yep. I guess that's nice to see too. He's not just limited to the Josh Hader one inning role as well. All right. Uh, my only lemonade has a question because this is something that we saw again, uh, left-handed pitching kind of the, the bugaboo for the brewers, although they were able to scratch together some runs, I guess, maybe finding uh, a subway to get, uh, something across against lefties. But, uh, the question here is, so both the Cardinals and the Rays interrupted their pitching rotation just to shoehorn a fringe lefty in to face the brewers. This is embarrassing, right? The front <laughs> office should be embarrassed. Uh, a side note, uh, adding, uh, I was relieved to hear that Luis Urias is still on track to return soon. Will his presence in the lineup make a dent in this lefty crisis? <laughs> uh, Ryan, I know you dug up some numbers on the lefty stuff too. So how about we start with you? Yeah, first, I mean, teams are going to throw lefties at the Brewers. I think right now that's because it is a an issue that has shown enough to this point that like, you would sort of be stupid not to shade things towards lefties. But I wouldn't say that they necessarily shoehorned things. They brought up Matthew Libertor, who's their top pitching prospect, and had him slide in for that game on Wednesday against the Brewers. And that wasn't necessarily like a, a crazy situation. They weren't like going out of order. There wasn't, you know, some weird thing that they were doing. They just, you know, that was the guy they picked, and it made sense. Um, obviously, Jordan Montgomery is just a guy who is a good lefty starter and that's who they started same thing obviously you can't say Shane McClanahan against the Rays like that's maybe the best starter in baseball right now right I I was trying to tell people that we were at a party on Friday night and I was kind of like yeah he might be he might actually be the best starter in baseball right now like he's if it's not him he's one of the top two or three so uh he is he's really incredibly good and then today yes we got a lefty opener for a couple of innings so that they could you know potentially turn the lineup around and do all that and whatever but okay fine so they decided to throw a lefty opener like i don't think they were making their there's this is not radical realignment of things to try to get lefties <laughs> so, aside from that like yeah the cardinals have done this before against the brewers when they've had platoon side weaknesses it's not new to them at all mm-hmm. it's it's familiarity mm-hmm. and then the rays are you know the rays employ four times as many nerds as the next nerdiest team in baseball that that is their calling card they're going to pick out every little tiny weakness that you have and pound the hell out of it. That's what they do. So um, it's not surprising that the Brewers showing this weakness have had people try and hammer it for a couple of weeks here or a week and a half. Yeah, that's 
That's how these, this team goes. And it, it's not like it takes a, a, a battalion of nerds to figure out that like no, the Brewers don't certainly get not. Well. Like, you know, it's, <laughs> it's sort of famous at this point that they, they keep doing this. And this is what he's talking about. That like yeah, pl- platoon splits are like 100 year old things yeah. that people know about. It's, it does not take the raised battery of people. You're absolutely right. So going on to like the meat of his question here, I think it's worth sort of looking at, and I got the up to the minute numbers on this as to what guys are doing against lefties and just looking at like who's getting plate appearances. First off, Willie Adamas is leading in plate appearances, which is exactly what you'd expect. And he's only putting up a 649 OPS, which is lower than what you would expect from Willie Adamas, but not super lower because he is better against righties in his career than he is against lefties. He's one of the reverse platoon split guys. Of course he is. Um, Christian Yelich has a 517. He's next on here. And I mean, Christian Yelich is generally better against lefties uh, than this. So I wouldn't expect this level of crap to continue from Christian Yelich against lefties. Uh, He's not better against lefties. Like he definitely he hits righties better for his career. But he's also not a guy who has had huge problems with lefties when going well. So I I don't think that that's necessarily indicative. Then you get into the guys who are actually good. And William Contreras, 892 OPS against lefties. And Joey Weimer, a 920 OPS against lefties. And that's down a little bit because he struggled today. Um, and I think maybe also on Friday. I think he, he had a bad night on Friday. Because his when I looked before, his OPS was over 1,000 against lefties. I think you can make the case that just against lefties, it might be time to start moving Joey Weimer up the, the lineup. Now, maybe they don't want to do that because they don't want to like put heavier expectations on him and get him thinking, oh, I need to do more now that I'm, I'm being moved up in the lineup. So I don't know. That's a, that's a delicate balance. That's a psychology question, and that's harder yeah. for us to assess from the outside than it would be from the inside. But I think it's something that should at least be discussed because he is one of your best hitters against left-handed pitching and having him down in the eight or nine spot in that case is probably not the ideal lineups are overrated and whatever but you probably want a guy in that situation to be higher in the lineup mike Bursow is a huge huge issue here because he is the guy you expect to mash lefties and he's putting up a 603 OPS against lefties. And so this is actually legitimately a problem. Bursault's career is 799 uh, OPS. And that coming into this year was even higher because he's been dragged down by this start to this year. So he's gone down a little bit there. Um, they need more from Mike Bursault. And they're going to need to get more from Darren Ruff as well, who last year, if you look at 753 OPS against lefties, if you get that from him, and he was off to a fine start against lefties this year as well. Yeah. If you get that from him, you should kind of be okay. Um, but yeah, like Urias coming back is going to help this. He has a career 805 OPS against lefties, so that should help. That should do good things for you. Um, Brian Anderson, we've talked about, is a guy who has reverse platoon splits, and he's only got a 663 OPS against lefties this year. I wouldn't expect it to be much higher than that. I think that's actually kind of his range. So that's probably not something you're going to improve massively on. Um, Owen Miller is a little concerning because as I just discovered as we were in the pre-show, James and I were talking, uh, Owen Miller right now is at 822 OPS against lefties. Paul, guess what Owen Miller has for his career? 
Uh, I'm going to guess it's much lower. <laughs> Reverse platoon splits, Paul. Of, co- of course he does. I, I have his B-Ref not as up-to-date up right now, so I, I see he's 878 against righties there and 844 against lefties. That changed today. Um, but uh, yeah, that sounds right. That's what they do. And for his career, he is reverse platoon splits. That's the that's the part where he really like. I think I have that up right now. Uh, for his career, six sixty eight against righties, six twenty four against lefties. Uh, all right. So another guy with reverse platoon splits in the lineup, and so I don't know how much you can buy into this. That's not a huge sample size, by the way. I mean, we're talking about uh, that's less than to to do. Uh, it's 280 plate appearances against lefties. It's not that big a sample. Yeah, he's yeah. barely been up. Yeah, so you can you could say that maybe this is we're seeing the breakout against lefties that was due to happen at some point. Could be. Hopefully, we can keep our fingers crossed. But I wouldn't necessarily expect it. I think my overall impression here, looking at the numbers, I think they're a little bit better than what their overall performance against lefties has been. And I think that especially swapping out Darren Ruff for Luke Voigt is a help on this front. I think that does increase their floor a little bit. And getting back Urias will also help. But I don't think it's leaps and bounds. And there are some downsides here, too. Like, I don't think Owen Miller is going to hit as well as he's hit against lefties for the bulk of the season. So <laughs> having not. him no. having him at the top of the lineup against lefties right now, it makes absolute sense. You got to do it. He's one of the best hitters against lefties on the team at the moment. So you just do it, ride it. But I wouldn't necessarily expect it to continue. So, yeah, they kind of continue to need to add more right-handed bats who can hit left-handers. And I, yeah, that's, that's where we're at. Your race will help. It would be nice if Tyrone Taylor didn't didn't suck out loud for a, a little bit too. That, that uh, he's been atrocious against kind of everybody, but um, also currently has reverse platoon splits in his sixty plate appearances. Yeah, I was looking at the, oh geez, a three thirty three OPS against. Yep. Yikes! Come on, man. Like yeah. what are we... he's been all, he's, he's been a little br- brutally terrible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and so yes, you would also. I guess I would. You could be. It would be fair to say that Tyrone Taylor is probably going to be better than that. He's significantly better than that over the balance of the season against lefties. So like him and Bursault, you probably put up arrows next to for positive regression, likely. But you got to put a down arrow next to Owen Miller. So yeah. Um, yep, you do. And then, so then, yeah, you really are sort of relying on Urias. And, you know, if you could get like a hot couple weeks out of Darren Ruff, where he just hit some, like, if the dude is capable of hitting dingers. Like, if he could just hit a few dingers against lefties, like, that would go a long ways to sort of help them in the situation they're in right now while they're waiting for Urias to come back. Which, according to what he said, I haven't seen an update on this. Maybe you guys have, but so it, it sounds like he's going to be back. Because his his time on the sixty day, I think, ends pretty much at the end of this month. He went on right at the beginning of April, so yeah. sixty days. So he should be pretty much clear to come back right away, is what he's saying. I hopefully, hopefully, yeah. We'll see what happens in terms of rehab assignments or or what have you to kind of get him back up to speed after being away for that long. But uh, yeah, we're we're <laughs> getting very close to at least that portion of the lineup. Uh, returning to full strength too. Uh, my only lemonade also had a, a second question here that I'll just jump to right away about the Rays series, asking why were the Rays allowed to build a stadium with a baseball colored ceiling? Um, and, and this kind of goes back to the trot being like 
eight or ten years older than the the rays actually are right yeah it's not that the mm-hmm. rays built this mm-hmm. this way but they did not uh paul it, it kind of just factors into the stupidness of that stadium right, right that's right um so this this was built by florida men and um when florida men build things they <laughs> they tend to be um you know they'll usually stand up but there are some quirks about them uh they will fill up with water sometimes sometimes they will uh, <laughs> blow over sometimes they'll get infested with reptiles and mosquitoes and you know there's going to be some just weird stuff going on there and the white ceiling is i mean the worst of it, it, not the worst the white ceiling is like not even the worst thing about that place um it's weirdly shaped it has weird scaffolding all over the place the ceiling is not high enough it looks you know what it looks like to me it looks like they moved montreal's stadium to the united states and then built a tent over it um that, that's <laughs> it, like it's kind of mm-hmm. big and circular and like uh I, I know it's not concrete under there but it, it always just kind of strikes me as looking like there might be concrete under there that just yeah it, it's it's a bad stadium but it's a very florida stadium and uh they they deserve it honestly it it, it belongs there yeah, the concourses there are absolutely ridiculously small, too. They make me wish for the Allstate Arena, the Rosemont Horizon, Paul. They make oh, me wish wow. for those concourses. If you've ever been there, ah, yeah. many, you know many how bad that is. Yeah, so fortunately, nobody ever goes to Rays games, so you don't end up with huge crowds of you know people you know, <laughs> creating, yep. uh, taking up all that space. So it's not like going to a fish concert at the Allstate, but I digress. Um yeah, so the whole thing with Tropicana Field was it was not built by the Rays. It was built by the city of Tampa when they were trying to lure the White Sox to come to Tampa, and they almost got them, too. Yep, um, and almost the Giants, too, right? Yep, yeah. almost the Giants as well. They were trying to pull them. So you think about that, and it's just insane. Like, the White Sox, okay, but, like, the Giants, the idea of the Giants having been kind of a failure in the Bay Area, but you have to think back. This was in the midst of the Bash Brother A's era. The, the Giants were playing over at Candlestick. It was a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was it was not a good situation. And this was the famous uh, the White Sox to get the new stadium built. The governor of the state of Illinois walked into the chamber and stopped the clock on the wall at like two minutes to midnight. And for 45 minutes, they negotiated because there was a deadline of, of midnight. So they negotiated for like 45 minutes past the deadline and it got done. But according to the official clock on the wall, it was uh, 1158. Yep. So, yeah, classic uh, Illinois chicanery going on there. Yep, totally. Everybody was playing to their type. Yes, it really was. And uh, I remember being in Florida. My grandmother lived in Lakeland. My parents actually now have a place in Lakeland in the winter as well. My grandmother lived in Lakeland, and we were there on spring break in the spring of 98, which was right when the Rays were about to start playing. So spring break was going to end, or sorry, spring training was about to end, and they were going to start playing. But right before that, they were hosting the NCAA tournament. And Mm -hmm. I remember all these stories about how the escalators weren't working and there was rain or there was water dripping from the ceiling, which had shorted out the escalators. And so it wasn't working for (laughs) its grand opening. For its grand opening. Yeah. Yeah. Like like I said, it gets water in it. Not not kidding about that. That was not just hyperbole. That is a thing that happened and still happens once in a while. We should also mention really quick that... uh, their name has gone through a few iterations now and that their original name is also very Florida man, the devil rays and mm-hmm. something that was just not thought of uh, at all as potentially being offensive to a bunch of people in Florida. Not even the, not even one of the best kind of Ray animals um, <laughs> at all. I mean, the stingray. Like you, you can go with like Ray, rays are cool. 
you don't need to have devil there you can do manta that's a good name you can do sting that's a good name too um but they went with devil for no good reason then they changed it to just rays still being the animal they now appear to just be light right yeah sunlight yeah occasionally the animal they've got the the ray tank out i was gonna say the ray tank is still there and it's like the one thing the cool thing to go do amy and i went out there and she went you know petted the rays during the the game and they have to have like Honestly, I think they have more people working the Ray tank than they do like all of the concession stands <laughs> combined to monitor you because they're like really like on top of you. Like you follow the rules or they're going to kick you out. Like they are very, very particular about how they're, they're right. And they should be because, you know, it's an animal. So, yeah, that is the analytics team there. That's what they do when they're um, not in their offices. <laughs> games. Nope. Paul, this is not the Rockies. They they're not making their <laughs> no. analytics team go down and <laughs> no. monitor the rain. Monitor the fish. <laughs> monitor the fish. For those that don't know, the, the Rockies during the pandemic made their analytics team go do laundry. They did. Yeah. Because they fired so. all the clubbies. Uh I, I will say the Rays seem to have brought back the Ray logo, at least I don't know if it's a 25th anniversary mm. thing or uh they, they wear like the devil rays throwbacks which god i'm old that uh those are old <laughs> enough to be throwbacks now but it's been 25 years i mean uh they teams so you wear their throwbacks all the time so yeah like it's the devil amy did point that out though because she knows the story of the exorcism because i told her that because it's funny when they <laughs> they when uh the current ownership group and everybody came in one of the first things they did was perform the exorcism and get rid of the devil and just yep, yeah you know, do that so no it <laughs> That franchise, man, it's a wonder that they're still there and a wonder that they actually became good because yeah. the well, job is a mess. Really good ownership from the perspective of the owners basically said, we're going to do everything we can to win short of actually you know, spending money. Short of, short short of money. spending money. But <laughs> it is weird that nobody copies their analytics model because people have the resources to do that, you know, 10 times over. Well, and they do employ more than everybody else does. But I mean, the Brewers kind of do, right? Like the Brewers are like, I don't know, the no, Rays light a, version of it. Like, I apologize that I don't have the chart handy and I tried very hard to find it. But somebody graphed it a couple of years ago <laughs> and they employ way more people in their analytics department than everybody else. Like hmm. like orders of magnitude more. And, you know, they compete with the Yankees and Red Sox. It clearly pays off. Yeah, no, it makes sense. But I mean, the Brewers have adopted a lot of the Rays sort of general philosophies. Matt Arnold was a guy who was steeped in that tradition and he came up and you could see his influence on that. I think what they're not going to have is a lot of like breakthroughs and creativity that the Rays are the first ones to. And there's a big benefit to being the first ones to new realizations. Like you're kind of globbing on and being you know proactive about what you learn from the Rays and teams like the Rays. But you're not, like, inventing new stuff. The Rays are great at that. Yeah, actually, can we go to that Lucre's suitcase question next, James? Because this deals directly with that. Sure. Let's do that. Lucre's suitcase asking, uh, it seems like a lot of teams have caught up to the Brewers when it comes to pitching development and analytics. Are there new horizons where the team continues to innovate? Or are they middling when it comes to baseball innovation now? So, Paul, I feel like you, you kind of feel like they're middling here a little bit. Uh, maybe a little bit. So the thing is, pitching kind of got figured, like the, the driveline methodology, not everybody copies it exactly, but just the idea that you try changes, you track the changes very closely, and you determine whether they're effective or not, and then go to that well repeatedly. That's all pitching labs are. It's just taking a very scientific approach to how you build that. Um, everybody does that because it's an easy thing to copy. 
and it's not unique anymore. That's absolutely true. Um, and, you know, th this happens with every innovation in baseball since Moneyball was published mm -hmm. and everybody was like, oh, crap, how come we didn't figure that out earlier? Let's do it right now. Um, but there are definitely still things to figure out and there's definitely still things the Brewers do better than everybody else. Um, catching development being the largest primary example of it. Um, there's a good Fangraphs article on Contreras' turnaround this week that I would urge everybody to go find. Um, so, like, there's definitely still innovation that happens there. And um, remember that when the Giants were so good a couple of years ago and they had Darren Ruff and they had him, like, as their, like, high fastball hitter guy. Like, mm -hmm. they were doing platoons on, like, pitcher location and, and like, type of pitcher. Like, that, that kind of stuff. You can get very, very granular with your matchups now where you couldn't before. Um, I think the Rays actually do quite a bit of that as well, from what I what I can tell. Um, also, uh, just subjectively, all of the Rays look like inside linebackers. They're all just massive people. Um, <laughs> They're very large. Which is, yeah, which, which is not like something you I'm need fast. nerds to tell you. You can yeah. just do that on your own. But uh, but there's still always room to innovate, and the Brewers still have a couple of you know things going for them. But yeah, some of the, some of the stuff they were better at has they've they've been surpassed at that's that's how baseball goes yeah and it goes that way faster now we've talked about this a lot in the past but that's gonna be my main answer here is that it used to be that when you figured something out you could hold an advantage for a, a matter of years maybe uh then it became a matter of months where you could you know once you discovered something you could figure you know, hold that advantage for a while now everybody employs so many smart people that are looking at so many different things <laughs> Once you figure something out and show a path to it, the way that, say, the Brewers did with going after guys like Burns and Woodruff in the drafts in the middle of the last decade. So taking you know Woodruff in the, the 11th round in 2014 or taking Burns in the fourth round in 2018, they were taken because of the high spin fastballs. They had high spin four seamers that particularly up in the zone, um, there was a thought by organizations that were really, really looking at the analytics, and the Brewers were at that point, that you could take these guys and they could be really, really good in a way that maybe people didn't expect before when the, the whole thing of what used to be, you know, keep the ball down, keep the ball down. If you if you pitch in the high in the zone, they're just going to tee off on you. And that was not as true for a while. So um, mm -hmm. the that advantage went away, you know. I think you have teams like Cleveland who still they like they go after a certain type of college pitcher that they think like, hey, if we clean up the mechanics on this guy, he has good location. He has a good feel for pitching. He seems like a guy who just gets how to pitch. And we think if we clean up the mechanics and get him on like a throwing regimen, we can get this guy to throw like four or five miles an hour faster. And they've done this again and again and again and again to the point where like. It's the Cleveland thing, right? You know, they did it with Tanner Bibby. They did it with uh, Shane Bieber. They've done it with, you know, a whole bunch of guys. You could run down the list of guys that, you know, basically Cleveland has done this with. Savale, I think, fits into this bucket. whole bunch of guys. Yeah. Um, but that is, like, if you can do that, other teams are going to start finding those guys and trying to do the same thing. So it's going to get harder for you to do it because other teams are going to say, okay, so we're going to start looking for pitchers that have those characteristics. And then we're going to try to do what Cleveland has done with them. And so they sort of show the way the brewers right now are trying to do something different. And we're in the, we're not in the early phases of it from what they've been doing. It actually started like five years ago, but we're starting to see it at the major leagues with guys like Bryce Terang, with Sal Freilich, 
with well not Joey Weimer but Garrett Mitchell sort of it's a that's a different more complicated one um but last year's draft class with guys you know um Eric Brown Jr people like that the Brewers have been prizing guys who make contact and are you know athletic up the middle players who make uh high rates of contact and like walk more than they strike out and they're hoping that they can develop those guys into power hitters that is what they're trying to do. That is the thing that, like, um, Eric Longenhagen has talked about this, that, like, the Brewers have a type. When they're drafting now, they look at guys and they're like, okay, that's a Brewers type. And people sort of knew. Uh, James Anderson picked up on this. It's why he called the uh, the uh, Eric Brown Jr. pick, because the Brewers kind of have a type. Will it work? It's too early to say. I really don't know. I have certain doubts because power is so important in the modern game, but that is the hope. That is they're they're definitely trying a thing here. They're trying to do this thing, so it is definitely they're they're trying to innovate. They're trying to do some, and it's definitely more than just this. It's not this is the only thing. They're definitely trying to innovate here. They're trying to do things differently than other teams are. We'll just have to see if it ends up paying the big time dividends that some of these other things have or not but it is it's a little early to say all right moving on uh we've got another question from jay google here uh still uh, i guess tangentially related to the the race stuff given that we just celebrated the two-year anniversary of this trade but jay google asking uh would you still offer willie adamas a big contract i get average doesn't mean a ton but he's been hovering around 220 for the last two seasons. Uh, you know, there was a time a couple of months ago where we figured he's he's as good as gone, right? Looking at some of these shortstop contracts that are going around, but um, he, he's kind of struggled a bit here. I was talking to Ryan Paul before you hopped on that. Geez, he's got heading into today. His WRC plus is like 85. He's been kind of bad. So I, I don't know. What do you still think he's going to get that huge contract, price himself out of Milwaukee, or or not so much anymore? I think it is now much more of an open question because uh, while he has he's coming off two good offensive, one great offensive season, one good offensive season, um, it's certainly not like the total overall norm with him. Like usually he's been pretty good, but there are a few rough, at least half seasons in there as well, especially when he was with the Rays. Uh, and, you know, maybe you shouldn't judge him off this series too much, given what we know about him in the batter's eye. Um, but he's also, like, he, next year will be his age 28 season. And um, people are going to look at him as the defensive floor is very high. But you can't count on the offense necessarily being there. And that's not a top-line shortstop. That's a guy with a good floor that maybe isn't there three years from now, four years from now. Um, with a very questionable offense, and that's cheaper. That is something the Brewers might be able to do. So, yeah, I think he is unpricing himself out of Milwaukee if he keeps hitting like this. Um, there's not a there's a trend there too. Like uh, you do start to wonder like just how BABIP dependent his good seasons have been, and you know if what his actual true offensive profile is. So, yeah, I kind of agree with that. I still think he's a very good player. But if you're going to get random, you know, below average seasons with the bat, that's just quite a bit less valuable than what we've seen he can be. I would agree with all that. I think that if his contract were up after this year, or I should say if his uh, control years were up after this year and he was a free agent after this season, you know what he would be a candidate for? He would be a candidate for being offered the qualifying offer and accepting it. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. Like that's kind of where he would be, and he because he would look at it and go, "Okay, well, I probably can't hit the free agent market and cash in big time right now, so I'll take the qualifying offer, which is you know eighteen million or whatever for a year, and then I'm going to go and uh, try to prove myself and get a bigger contract." playing out that year um right you don't you don't want you don't want eight years based on this performance mm -mm. like no you you don't want to do that (laughs) that's not good for you so uh, i i completely agree with that yeah and it's the strikeout rate is the the most concerning thing the fact that he's already striking out at this point 25.3 percent and that's just really high uh for a guy that you're worried about like he has power don't get me wrong willie adamas obviously has power but how much power does he really like? Does he have you know true um, every year thirty to forty home run power? No, I mean we've seen him kind of do that once. We've seen him, and then he you know what did he end up with last year? Was it just thirty? Thirty one last year. Thirty one. That's, fl- okay. that's his career high. Yeah, and that's his career yeah, high. So, that's at the franchise record. Come on. Yeah, it was. <laughs> well, I couldn't remember if he got the extra one <laughs> yeah. or not. The end of the year kind yeah. of all blurs together in a horrible yeah. melange of sadness so um yeah i i think that you would have to be cautious with him and i think they're probably already looking at the idea of bryce terang slipping over to shortstop because the defense is just going to be that good where you're not going to be giving up a ton defensively and i think that may be what the the plan here is and it's sad and it sucks but there's still also we should say you've got four months of this year left to play out and you've got all of next year left to play out. Mm-hmm. Willie can go a long way as to rewriting a lot of this. If he absolutely turns it on and plays really well offensively in the second half this year and then has a good solid year next year, he can play himself into, you know, the kind of contract we were thinking he was potentially going to play himself into, you know, the $140 million over seven year type of deal I just would be skeptical it's from the Brewers at this point. I think that's probably, I wouldn't say the ship has totally sailed, but it seems to be um, loading up in the harbor. <laughs> yeah, we haven't heard a whole lot about negotiations on an extension. Granted, nope. that kind of dies down once you get past the first month of the season or so. Mm-hmm. You're, you're kind of past extension season. Um, it's just kind of wild to me that I, just thinking back to a couple of years ago when it seemed like, oh, wow, the Brewers might have stumbled upon like another cornerstone bat, like face of the franchise type guy. And I love him to death. He's super fun. But I don't know if the bat is there for that, at least consistently. So, yeah. All right. Uh, moving on, we've got Mark Podscarby asking, uh, can you help explain the Gus Varland DFA? I get he had a terrible outing in St. Louis, but outside of that, his ERA was 225, and it seemed like he had pretty nasty stuff on his pitches. Did one bad outing really cost him his job? Uh, Ryan, I guess, was it that outing? Was it the fact that he was a Rule 5 pick and roster limitations? What do you think happened there? Yeah, it's more than anything, it's the roster limitations and just the fact that it was going to be tough for them to do this. And because of the the hammering that they took in that game and then i think it came was he dfa'd before the uh the short miley start he was wasn't he i think it was 
wasn't it right after that? It was right after that game. I think it was done right after that. Um, they needed arms. Yeah, they they did need arms, just sort of regardless, because that night was brutal and took a lot out of them. But I think the writing was on the wall. They were looking at him and saying that like he just hasn't turned into as good a pitcher as they were hoping they were going to get there. His strikeout percentage was only eleven point eight percent, and that was the disappointing stuff. It was that the the strike the the nasty stuff, and this happened with Junior Guerra too, um, not Junior Guerra. Who is the are the Guerra we had this year? Javi Guerra. Javier Guerra. Thank you. Javi Too Guerra. Too many Guerras. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, shouts to Steve. Um, yeah. So just the fact that like the the nasty stuff wasn't translating into big swing and miss numbers. That was, I think, sort of the deal breaker. Like they had to kind of decide that they're going to move on when you're striking out 11.8 percent and walking 15.7 percent. They just had to look at this and go, okay, we're probably not going to be able to carry him the full season doing this. And so it's time to pull the plug and give ourselves more flexibility again, which they did. They gained flexibility. A lot of it, I think, was situation dependent. Like, I think they just took a hard look at the roster and was like, we can't do it. Um, He hasn't been good enough to justify it. We're going to need to shuttle people in and out for the next like two months, probably. And can't have a rule five guy on the team if you're going to do that. It's not going to work out. Yeah, and I think it's important to not classify this as like a total failure. This is the kind of thing you yeah. should be taking chances on. You should be trying things like this. And when it doesn't work, then you do what the Brewers did and you move on from the Garas, from the Varlins relatively quickly. Yeah. Um, but look at how Bryce Miller has worked out. You know, like that seems to have actually that was sort of a similar situation where they were locked into not being able to send him down. So he had to be on the roster if he was going to be on the team. And so far, so good on that front. Like he has been a pretty important part of that bullpen, soaking up some big innings and taking some some critical innings. So you roll the dice on three guys. One of them works. And then you just kind of keep sifting through and looking around and seeing what you can do. It's, uh, you know, uh, Elvis Peguero has looked pretty good. Joel Piamps has looked pretty good. So you, you know, you, you adjust and you move through. It's never about like when you break camp, you should have eight good relievers on your team. That's, that's not how it works for anybody. That's, that's just not the game. Uh, I guess on the topic of uh, pitching, but more so the rotation, Andrew S. has a question here, uh, especially given all the injuries now, asking, if you're the Brewers front office, who and where are you looking to try to fix the rotation? Uh, Paul, I know we were trying to scrounge up some names. Uh, Not really an inspiring list, but what do you got? Uh, Just ex-Brewers. That's all I got. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Go 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 get Zach from the Royals. Um, let let him finish like he started with the Royals and then with the Brewers. Um, uh, it's it's actually a really tough market to go and get a halfway decent starting pitcher, and it'll be tough for us to identify who they would identify in the first place because the Brewers will go and find somebody with a big defect that sucks right now and that they think they can fix. And so everybody I look at, I look at someone. I try to look at somebody who doesn't suck or at least is like plausibly good. Um, but that that's not what they'll do. Like I, I also was looking at, like Drew, Drew Pomerantz as a free agent next year. That'd be fun. Had him already. Um, the Padres are oh, you know weirdly bad as per usual. So, so um, but but like they'll go and get somebody out of nowhere who has something that they, they think they could teach him a sweeper and then he'll be fine. 
Um, but it, it's tough because so many teams hang around in contention for so long that there's not a lot of sellers. There'll be a lot of buyers because, as we talked about, I think, last week or the week before, pitching injuries are way up. So there's a huge demand for pitchers. Everybody needs to fix their rotation. Uh, elbows and shoulders in particular are way up. And so it's not a buyer's market. It's a seller's market. It's very, very difficult to do this. Um, and uh, yeah, like I would, I, I like Granky for the story. I think he can probably still grind out one halfway decent season, but um, they'll probably get somebody I've never even thought about before. Actually, um, I was looking at a guy on this team before and I mentioned it. And I was like, can I interest you in a Jacob Junis from the Giants? And he's got a 488 uh, ERA and a 1.75 whip. Not particularly Ooh. inspiring. And you would generally think the Giants know how to get a lot out of pitchers. They're not going to um, be a team that like generally gets less than the most out of their guys. They they tend to get right. more out of their right. guys. Uh, so that was a little scary. But then I kept looking down the list and way down at the bottom of the list, I saw Alex Wood. And this actually does interest me. Alex Wood is a free agent after this year with the Giants. He is a lefty, and I know there's a lot of people, I don't think this really matters that much, but there's a lot of people who want to get another lefty in the, the rotation. And so um, he's been pretty good this year. He did go on the IL, missed some time from April 18th to May 12th, but he's back now. He just pitched uh, four and two-thirds. He's got a 287 ERA. Um, and let's see, what is the uh, what's the old whip at? That is... It's quite a bit higher than his ERA, if memory serves. Yeah, 4.68, so it's it's on the high end, so that's it's a little bit concerning, but you're not going to get guys who are going to be good. That is... <laughs> you, you, like, yeah. you're not going to get yeah. a guy who's sitting on like a really good track record and has been really, really good this year, uh, especially two months ahead of the deadline. Like teams don't tend to make big trades two months ahead of the deadline. It's the reason the Willie Adamas thing stands out. And the reason we were making such a big deal of it today was that it was a surprise to have a trade of that consequence happen on May 21st. Yeah. You don't generally expect it because if you are a team selling a guy like say Alex Wood or Jacob Junis, you're going to tend to wait until the deadline when you can extract the highest possible price. Most teams aren't going to come with their best offer in May. So if the Giants were to decide to move one of those guys today, you would be a little suspicious that what do they know about like the impending crash that's coming for that player? So right. I, I think that they're probably going to have to stick it out largely with the guys internally at this point. I mean, it because the thing is, they're supposed to be getting back Wade Miley and Brandon Woodruff around, you know, the All-Star break. Like July yeah. end yeah. of end of June, early July. So at that point, you kind of I think you're gonna okay, we're gonna get those guys back into the rotation. We're gonna see how this looks and see where they're at in the standings and see how all of this goes, and then make an assessment at the deadline of where you are. And my guess is their number one need at the deadline is not going to be starting pitching. No. Um, and if it is, they're probably not in a great competitive place that they're going to want to go out and spend big on starting <laughs> pitching. Yeah. That's will be the thing. All right. Uh, kind of similar to this question. Adam post asked, uh, the Brewers seem to have a history of bringing back pitchers that had pitched for them in the past, which <laughs> hashtag old friend that still pitches. 
would you most want the Brewers to sign or trade for? So, Paul, I know you put Grinky on top of your list. Obviously, Grinky, yes. Yeah. With a bullet. Um, yeah. I have nothing more to add to that because he's fun. Yeah. I, I don't know. Jordan Lyle stinks this year. We saw him firsthand. Uh, I think Chase Anderson's still bumming around. He got DFA'd. Ryan, do you have any other names? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, this Josh Hader guy is pretty good. I actually <laughs> laughed. He's a free agent at the end of the year, right? He is a yeah. free agent at the end of the year. Yeah, but Padres will be out of contention. Could use some bullpen help. <laughs> yep. Yeah, the thing about that is that obviously it just like wouldn't make a ton of sense for them to give up what are we taking and the Padres aren't going to sell them anyway they're, they're just not like that's not going to happen so it doesn't really make sense but like of all the uh, players who are former brewers right now who I could potentially want back like yeah he would be the top of the list even if I have like be hilarious. huge concerns about what his long term is going to be like and I wouldn't yep. sign him to a long-term deal still if we're talking about like a guy to bring back for this year that you know that's him if the uh if the Mariners fall a little further out we could uh We'll get Trevor Gotts and Justin Topa, who make up most of the, oh, the middle of their uh, bullpen and have been pitching actually pretty well. Yeah, Topa uh, uh, was their eighth inning guy last night. I always kind of like Justin Topa, actually. Mm-hmm. I just feel like he couldn't stay healthy, really. Yeah, what did they trade him for? I was trying to figure that out last night. I suppose I can look that up, but like Topa was because he was not part of the Jesse Winker deal. No, that was separate. Yeah, that was a, it. Was a separate deal, and I'm. I feel like it wasn't that big of a of a no, transaction. It was like cash or international space <laughs> or something. I don't know. Yeah, it was a weird one, and I I think it was because they didn't necessarily have uh, the room to, um, like at that point they were they were uh, kind of hard up for forty man spots. Like they were trying to create space, and yeah. he was traded for. Oh, Joseph Hernandez, the the uh, frisbee slider guy. Oh, that's sure. who he was traded for. And this and that's exactly what that was. It was you're trading him for a guy who doesn't have to go on the 40 man roster um, because you were trying to clear space on your 40 man. Probably right. not a given how he's pitched for the Mariners, probably not ideal, but also just kind of something that teams have to do. So, yeah. Yeah. Our next question this week comes from a new patron, Cyber Cleric, who is uh, writing, finally pulled the trigger on becoming a member. Happy to be part of this community. Thank you very much, Cyber Cleric. Welcome aboard. Uh, so the question here is, anyways, with the injuries to the pitching staff, I've been skimming for potential reclamation projects that maybe Matt Arnold would consider trading for early in the season. Uh, what are your thoughts on Zach Pizak as a possible reclamation project? Just got sent down by the Guardians, but has shown it in the past. He's only 28. His savant page looks ugly outside of his <laughs> rate, it is, but his walk percentage is good. Uh, could they possibly do something to fix him to get the other categories back up to what his 2020 page shows? So there's an interesting name. And I guess, uh, Paul, a uh, uh, family member that Brewers fans would be familiar with, too. How, how do you feel about Zach Plezak as a possibility? Uh, um, I, so control is good. I just I worry about Zach Plezak because he's not a hard thrower. Um, and I feel like that's harder to fix. Um, you know, if you can... If you can crank up a couple more miles per hour of velocity, that's fine. But uh, I, I kind of feel like he's kind of below the line right now. And uh, uh, his savant page really is ugly. <laughs> um, it, it's fun that he's Dan's kid. I assume he's, uh, is he Dan's kid? No, Dan's nephew. Kid, right? His nephew. Okay, his whatever. Nephew, yeah. Dan's relative. 
but I'm I don't know. I'm not that interested in Zach Plesac personally, um, especially if Cleveland couldn't fix him. Yeah, I think that's kind of a big part here is that Cleveland is the experts on all things pitcher improvement. And so if they're passing on him, you would have to be skeptical of it. The one thing I'll say for him, I do like guys who show a good split between their strikeout and their walk rate. And he does just because his walk rate is really, really low. He is only walking uh, 6.1% of batters this year. And last year it was 48 so that's a really low number. He is not walking a lot of guys. And the strikeout rate is below average. Like, clearly, oh, sorry, it was, it's uh, the walk rate this year is 4.8%. Last year it was uh, 6.7. Sorry, I was looking at the zips. I had the wrong line there. But uh, 13% strikeout rate this year, 17% strikeout rate last year. Like, those are not great numbers. They're definitely bad. But you can talk me into something like this just because there is the the split the the K minus uh, uh, base or the K minus walk percentage being around ten. You can work with that. There's something there. It's going to be frustrating. He's not going to be great. But if you could get like say he was available and Cleveland was willing to just give him up for not much. Um, I could see it being a, a thing to sort of get through June, maybe. Um, I would be a little bit concerned about whatever Cleveland was asking for, because yeah. if they want it, I probably it's sort of like dealing with the Rays, where you're like, right. you want that? No, I don't want to give you that. So <laughs> wait a minute. What do you see that I don't? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it does. It it very much is sort of that situation. But then again, you have to have faith in the Brewers self-scouting that they have been really good. The The Stearns-Arnold tenure has been marked by exceptionally good self-scouting. They've done such a good job of it. So they've really made very few mistakes. They've gotten rid of guys that they should get rid of at high value, um, and they've held on to guys that they should hold on to almost you know, right down the line. They've, they've made very few mistakes. So... I guess you'd kind of have to bet on that to continue. And if he was available, you could talk me into this. It would be okay. He just gets hammered on contact. Just just hammered. Yeah. It, don't don't care for that. I mean, so does Colin Ray, right? And yeah, but he sucks. Yeah. Right. That's, and that but we're about to get bad. another month and a half of Colin Ray because of But we don't need to we have that at home, I believe the saying is. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean the thing is, we have seen, and yes, it was in the, the weird 2020 season. does not count. It, it doesn't, but we have seen him spike, like, good strikeout percentages at various points. <laughs> so maybe you can one weird trick this situation. I don't know. It just, like... He and Darren Ruff can go have a party together about their 2020 excellence. That's fine. <laughs> well, Plesak was the one who... He, it was him and Clevenger. He, he did plenty of uh, partying in 2020 yeah, as well. He was him the one Clevenger who broke... Uh, and yeah, he they and broke Clevenger protocol. Yeah. 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 So, there was that. Okay. Uh, last question this week is actually a question we got last week and didn't have time for because that was the episode we had 24 questions and James Vandenberg here said uh, we could save this one for this week. So we did. Thanks. Uh, so here's James's question. Um, basically asking, how is StatCast so bad at projecting home run distances to center field in Milwaukee? <laughs> I swear every home run off the scoreboard is under 415 feet, which is impossible. 
uh, PJ Wessels <laughs> chimed in here. Uh, I think Sam Decker tweeted that out too. It's like, it's literally 420 to center. That doesn't make any sense. Anyway, PJ Wessels saying, uh, Yelich's home run off of Zach Greinke broadcast had it at 396, <laughs> now had it at 427. So I guess, Paul, any insight into how StatCast can screw this up? I assume it has something to do with the 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 overhang, the thing that sticks out above. It's got to be that, mm-hmm. right? Like, and it even confuses the Dongbot, which often has home runs in uh, to center in in Miller Park, uh, landing like halfway between second base and center field. <laughs> it's uh, it, it, I, I just assume that's it. I assume it, it messes with their readings and it messes with distance calculations. But I mean, I don't know. It might be simpler than that too. But I, I, that's got to be it. The, the overhang is weird. It makes home run hitting to center field in Miller Park weird or Amfam, whatever. Don't care. Um, and I, I'm guessing that just messes with computers. Yeah, I, that's all I could say here too. Is it's got to be something. Yeah, there just has to be something with the overhang involved here because, yeah, it is. It's not 420 to center field. It's 400 even. And like, but to get up over that fence, that has to be at least four, four or five extra, something like that. At least six, seven. Yeah, (laughs) like it's it's got to be right. So something. Yeah, something about this is not right. Something is screwing up those measurements. And there have always been weird measurements in that center field area. I. I still think that like the one Russell Brannion hit that was like way, way, way up the old scoreboard, so the, the smaller scoreboard that was higher up compared yeah. to the one that's massive now. I mean, I still think that was probably the hardest hit baseball I've ever seen in my entire life. And they had some, yeah, not impressively like 450 or something on it. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> that thing had to have gone much, much further than that. So, yeah. Uh, always imprecise home run projections, uh, even even with StatCast these days. It, it's, I don't know, it, it's way above my head. Anyway, uh, thanks for the questions this week, everybody, uh, or last week too, in the case of James there. Uh, mm-hmm. Reminder, you get question priority when you become a patron, two bucks a month at patreon.com slash tailgate. You also get a shout out here when you sign up, uh, but I already mentioned Cyber Cleric is our newest patron. So uh, welcome Woo. and thank you for the sign up there as well. Um, reminder too, when you sign up for question priority here, you also get it over on the Packer side over at reporting as eligible. So a uh, little bit more bang for your buck there as well. Uh, even if you're not a patron, though, you can go and, as always, support us in other ways. You can go to uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you listen to us. Hit uh, follow, subscribe there, and give us a five-star review. Help us climb up the baseball podcast rankings. Tell your friends about us, that kind of thing. Uh, also started a YouTube channel, so search for MKE Tailgate on YouTube. If, if that's your medium of choice, uh I've posted some clips there. So if you don't want the whole episodes, we've got those, but also just some uh, general chat topics too. And and some of my favorite bits from uh, other podcasts too. So like, if you want to go relive the fellowship of the brew uh, (laughs) question, that one's on there, a bunch (laughs) of other things too. So go check that out at youtube.com search for MKE tailgate is the handle there. So uh, follow us on Twitter, uh, all that stuff. Uh, 
we appreciate the questions as always, but uh, that'll do it for this week. Hopefully the Brewers get back home, do some good things against the Astros and the Giants. And we will be back here uh, over Memorial Day weekend at some point to uh, recap all of that in, in the first couple of months of the season. So uh, with that in mind, I uh, hope you all have a good week, everybody. We will be back here next time on the Washington Day.